Blog Talk Radio. Sports Show. I am your host, Mr. CJ Sports. You can follow me at Mr. CJ Sports. You can follow the 110 Nation at 110 Nation. Check us out on Facebook, my personal fan page, Mr. CJ Sports, the 110 Nation fan page, the 110 Nation Sports. And make sure you guys jump over, check out the site, www.the110nationsports.com for all the latest going on here at the 110 Nation. Glad to be back in the studio on this uh, hot and humid Tuesday night here in the great state of Ohio. <laughs> um, I was actually kind of disappointed. The rain never did. Kind of kind of disappointed it didn't actually rain. I thought that the rain would actually uh, cool things down and never actually got the rain. So kind of well, slightly disappointed with that. But uh, I'm glad to be in the studio. Got a, a few things we're going to jump in tonight. Uh, make sure Monday night you guys – Tune in to Race Chat Live with uh, Chris Craig and Taz um, right here on the 110 Nation Sports Radio Network as uh, they cover all the latest. uh, Yesterday they uh, covered Sonoma, a great race. Uh, Kyle Larson found himself in victory lane. So I got an opportunity to catch the last, I don't know, about 20 laps of that race. I know it don't seem like a lot, but uh, being a road course, it was (laughs) It's quite a bit to watch the 20 laps. Um, I had a whole last segment and everything to go through. Um, make sure um, not only do you guys uh, follow us on uh, Twitter and like us on Facebook, um, for those that uh, gen- generally catch us here on Block Talk Radio, but don't necessarily always listen to uh, Blog Talk Radio. Um, there are many and multiple ways to catch us. You guys can catch us on iHeartRadio, uh, Spreaker, iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, um, Deezer, uh, Stitcher. So uh, just, just throwing it out there for those that uh, want to know different ways to catch if uh, Blog Talk Radio is not the uh, the normal uh, avenue you guys go, catching podcasts, or uh, easier to download. I, I know on the phone it's easier to catch podcasts uh, on iHeart or uh, Spreaker than it is necessarily on uh, calling in or catching the links for Block Talk Radio. So uh, just make it a little bit easier for everybody. Um, a couple hot topics that we'll be jumping into. LeBron James, I'll tell you what, the, the hate is real. Um, studies show he is the most hated player. 
Uh, talk a little bit about that. Aaron Rodgers uh, not showing up to uh, spring training, um, OTAs. So uh, where where we're at with that? But I got an opportunity this weekend. It was a, it was a busy weekend. I got an opportunity to uh, go down to the uh, Kentucky Speedway this weekend. Uh, my brother uh, bought us a uh, ride-along package, so we went drove down to uh, Kentucky Speedway. I, I tell you what, um, get an opportunity to have gone to that racetrack many, many times. Um, and then showing up this weekend, a couple years removed from an actual racing season at the Kentucky Speedway, it was it was kind of disheartening. It was it was kind of a sad thing to say, or it's a sad thing to see. Um, it's not it's not the first time I've had to experience this with tracks that NASCAR has kind of kicked to the side and gone on and have gone on to bigger um, bigger tracks, more populated areas maybe, um, newer. Um, not that really the Kentucky Speedway was all that old, um, but you know, living, spending 25 years in, in North Carolina, I've seen a couple of those tracks. I've gone by North Wilkesboro. I've been to Rockingham. Um, and now I, I, the unfortunate, I mean, I had a great weekend, had a great experience. I'll talk about that here in a second. But I've gotten uh, to see what it's like post-NASCAR at the Kentucky Speedway. And... You know, I, I had this this conversation with my brother while we was at the track. Um, some of it may be on the way down or way back from the track as well. But, you know, Kentucky Speedway was a, was a nice facility. Uh, like I said, it was kind of a newer track. I, I know that Indy ran there for a while before um, NASCAR added it to their um, schedule. I, I remember that first year they ran at Kentucky Speedway and how they didn't police it, um, the traffic flow, correctly. And they, um, they, there was people that, <laughs> quite a few people, that didn't get an opportunity to make the race. And so, you know, after that, they did a much better job. I don't know if that was really the beginning of the ends when it came to Kentucky, if that just really put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouth. I know it was a couple to a few years after that when I had an opportunity to start going to the Kentucky Speedway um, as part of the media, hanging out in the media center for the 110 Nation. Um, I enjoyed it. It was a much quicker trip this weekend coming from Ohio down, especially being at the uh, southern part of Ohio, only about 45 minutes or so north of Cincinnati, um, versus coming from the North Carolina way up 
uh, much, much quicker, I, I would say. I, it seemed like Kentucky was a five, six-hour drive, if I remember correctly, coming the other direction, versus about an hour-and-a-half drive coming coming from Ohio. Um, the downfall, and this was probably the other parts, and Chris Creighton had uh, chimed in on one of the posts, Talking about he always had enjoyed um, the races at that track, and I, I I wasn't, I didn't have the same opinion. That was just kind of like to me, Charlotte's, you know, hour, hour and a half away, probably more and a half, hour and a half, hour and forty five minutes away from Charlotte Motor Speedway. That one was more of a convenient thing versus really the product that it, that put on the track at the at, at that particular track. I, I can remember the only one I really remember it being a close race and a great race is I, I remember because it was notorious to go to the six hundred. Um I, I can remember Dale Junior taking the white flag as the leader. And I I remember all the fans in the grandstands just cheering and, and excited and everything else. And I can remember doing the two-finger salute as he went by, just hoping and praying that for some reason or another we wouldn't have a Dale Jr. Um, victory. And sure enough, Dale Jr. runs out of gas in that lap. And Kevin Harvick comes around and wins the race. And just to see the dumbfounded look on these fans' face, like, what happened? And I'm Ric Flair and woo all the way back to the car. Because it played out, not how they wanted and how I bet so bad. I really didn't care. It was really, I don't think there was any driver out there that I would have been upset that would have won that race versus Dale Jr. Um, There's some drivers I think I wouldn't have cared I would have cared almost as less, not as, but not as quite to that extreme. Uh, but I don't think there was any driver out there that was running that I would have not been happy to see win versus Dale Jr. Um, that was like the only race I recall it ever being a close race. And that had more to do, I think it was the uh, overtime race. I think that's why Dale Jr. ran out of gas. And that was the only reason it was a close race. Um, it's because they had bunched up. All their other races that I had gone to Charlotte, usually one, maybe two cars kind of ran away with the show. To include the last race of the last race I went to, um, 2019, with my uh, son, um, Martin Truex ran away with the race. I think he led almost. I I, I want to say it was at least 90 percent. I, I think it was higher than that, but it was at least 90 percent. Of the laps, it was a one-man show. It was boring. It was over before you knew it. There was really no action. Um, I've been there for the 600. I don't think I was ever there for the day race. Um, I was always there for the 600, and I got an opportunity to go to the All-Star race once. Um, Kentucky to me was kind of the same way. Um, it wasn't so much about the convenience 
it was more about the fact that I had a great relationship with SMI who owned those tracks, uh, Bristol and Charlotte and Kentucky, um, that they always approved us to do media for those races. And it got to the point that I knew the lady that approved it and was always at the front window name, and we would have conversation every time I would show up. Um, the, the, it was just a great staff and a great group of people. And they even approved me. I think Vegas they owned. Um, it seems like um, New Loudoun or New Hampshire, one of them up there they owned. Um, I could have been approved for any of them because, you know, the same people approved um, approved it, it wasn't necessarily the same people in the uh, window just so happens she lived locally or traveled locally um and she was all those races i don't think she went to all the the ones out west or too far up north but anyway um so it, it wasn't so much about convenience of the drive because it was quite a bit of a drive it was just one of those things where um every year i went to all the tracks that i could get approved and then we worked outside of that you know i got approved for martinsville i got approved for homestead i got you know other tracks i got approved for those were bonuses but i knew the core the bristol the charlotte and the kentucky i was definitely going to get to go to at least once if not twice if i played my cards right and so it was one of those things I got, and some of the times I used that as an opportunity because it was so close. Um, most of the time, I just slept in the parking lot, and, you know, I made a weekend out of it. So I packed enough clothes, changed the car. It was what it was, you know, when you're, you're on a uh, small small budget, you do what you got to do, and some of the times I traveled home. It, you know, it was, um, it was less than gas and cheaper um, to, to drive all the way, you know, versus getting a hotel and everything else. It was it was cheaper to drive home and be able to see family and come back and go back to the track the next day, and then even travel back and forth. You know, both both nights. So this, uh, a lot of times I'd go to the Friday night race or yeah, Friday night race, Saturday night race, and then I would just drive from Ohio back to North Carolina on Sunday. Um, so it, it was it was a lot of convenience to it all, um, or not convenience, but getting approved and family and everything else. Not so much the convenience to Charlotte, but anyway. Um, it was another one of those tracks that, unfortunately, I don't feel the competition kept the fans' interest. Um, I, I like I said, I'm not sure how much that first year and a lot of people just couldn't get into the race, put a bad taste in people's mouth, but. More so, I, I think the lack of it being a close race, it being a competitive race, um, at that point out there in the Sparta area, it was more of about you're out in the middle of nowhere and you get a NASCAR race, so people came to it, and that was really the big interest in, in it, not because it was the best race to go watch. It wasn't the race with the most action. And, you know, it, it was, it's, it's unfortunate that it's another track to kind of just be left there to rot. And, you know, I was talking to the lady that does the, uh, works the, the, the trailer, the booth, whatever you want to call it, for the Rusty Wallace race experience. And we got to talk about it. You know, I was like, look, you know, this, this is crazy how this, this all looks like. 
you know, across the street where majority of the fans and the, those with RV uh, campers and all those that camped out and everything else, there's nothing but what well, looks like it's probably 2022 Ford brand new trucks out there. They still had um, the papers in the windows and everything else. So I'm uh, I'm assuming that those are the new trucks getting ready to roll out. And there there was thousands of them. Like it it was like a whole assembly line. Uh, it, it was ridiculous how many trucks were out there. But not to see fans out there. You know, this is the first time I've been to the track that did involve there being fans. Um, and, and then you went to the parking lot where we parked and the fans that parked close to the track that weren't camping out and all that, to see nothing but trailer, uh, semi-trailer um, trailers out there, just trailers, no trucks, just a bunch of trailers just parked next to each other. It looked like a big um, big lot of storage, basically. Um, so it was, it was it was really depressing. Then you get inside the the infield, and you you can see the grass growing in the infield uh, parking lots where there's nothing being weeded. It just kind of and you know, and like I said, you know, I, I give this another year or two, and I, you know, once this deal's up, I'm assuming they got a contract for so many years or something. Um, they they. Just, really honestly expect the track to be shut down and like i said it's 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 sad um you know it's kind of like going back to rockingham you know they try they've tried gotten tried to get different buyers and it was great going back that first year they brought the truck series back and i, I kicked myself in the butt for a couple of reasons one i worked literally 30 40 minutes up the road from rockingham why and I was living, I was working while they were still doing regular regular races there, the Cup Series. Um, had no no clue that I was that close to the track. Um, I was uh, an assistant manager for Arby's at the time, and it was insane how busy it was, and it was insane to see the difference the first year and the second. I think it was their second year after the Cup Series stopped running and seeing the difference of the sales and. You know, you're always going against last year's numbers. Plus, you know, they they want they expect you to do five percent or six percent more, and you're not even getting anywhere close to the numbers that you had the year before. Um, and it, and it looks like a horribly bad weekend, but there's no no NASCAR crowd coming through. Um, the main you know it was right off the main highway. Um, it, it was crazy, but also it, it was just it was sad that I you know myself a butt for not knowing that I was that close, but also not going back the second year because they did bring the truck series back twice. Um, the first year I did get an opportunity to go. Um, I went with uh, a good buddy of mine. Um, he was the one that actually took me to the all-star race. Um, I kind of got him hooked. He always clowned me for NASCAR, talking about left turn, left turn. Uh, so I took him to the truck series race, and I uh, hit a blast. Uh, watch Casey Kane in the number four um, truck win. I know it's it's part of the business. Unfortunate as it is, and, and Kentucky is not as bad other than it was convenient. It would be even more convenient now that I'm closer to, to get my press credentials, media credentials, and go to that race because versus driving that five, six hours, I would just have a hop and skip um, and, and be there. I wouldn't have to leave crack-ass early in the dawn, you know, in the morning to get to the race and 
Um, you know, some of those nights, if I just did one race, you know, and didn't have a combo deal or couldn't be their combo deal, I'd have to drive back after, and it was a night race. So I'd have to drive back. I wouldn't get in until 3, 4 o'clock in the morning if I was lucky. Um, so, it, it, you know, it, it sucks on that part of the, you know, but I understand the business behind it as well. And like I said, the, the Kentucky is not such a, a impactful closing of the track, more so Rockingham. Rockingham used to be the second race of the season, then it was later, um, second race was later in the season. Um, it was one of those tracks that it happened to rain. It happened to snow there once in uh, late February, but it, it was a track that you didn't really had to worry about that early in the season for snow and weather in, in that part of North Carolina. Um, in, in North Worksboro, um, also had been around and part of NASCAR's history, and that's the big difference with the North Worksboro's track and the Rockingham track is those were part of the Whitsy Cup days. Um, versus Kentucky, uh, I think it came about probably the next Tell Cup, maybe Sprint Cup uh, phase. Um, so it didn't quite have the, the history, the meaning to it um, versus the other tracks. And it, it's funny because you get these fans that NASCAR shutting down this track and NASCAR shutting down that track. And, you know, and without, you know, really thinking – and doing any kind of digging into things, you know, I I found myself one point in time, man, they, they should really bring Rockingham back. They really should this. But then once you get to visit other tracks, once you get to have the experience of other tracks. Now, this is not so much um, the Kentucky aspect of it. Um, somewhat, though. Um, cause I've been to Daytona and know how nice it can be, and I've been to Charlotte and how nice it it can somewhat be. Um, but when you have tracks like Rockingham that you're not getting but thirty, forty thousand people in, it and you're sitting on either concrete seat bench like things, or you're sitting on metal benches versus actual seats, and your concession stand looks nothing more than what you would. Where, where where you would attend your local's Friday or Saturday night track at. And, and so if you did have the masses, you would have a long line because you only got one, and if you're lucky, one, uh, two concession stands, but usually one concession stand at these small tracks. And there wasn't nothing to the infield at all. Um, what's NASCAR supposed to do? You You – are really unable, and and this is one of the things that they, these different owners that kept buying Rockingham, especially, I know more details about that, that was something that was constantly either on the news or in the paper, you get these these owners that take over these tracks and, and try to do everything that NASCAR would want them to do, willing to do safer barriers, willing to do this, willing to do that, but in a, and really, honestly, unless you're willing to dump in the money to add more seating, better seating, not even just add seating, but, you know, most, most people are not wanting to sit at a four-hour, four, during a four-hour race and not be able to lean back in a seat because they're they're sitting on concrete, essentially concrete benches or, or even the metal benches. What, what happens if you, you have a packed house and you're you're running out of one, if you're lucky, two concession stands? 
I don't know if last time y'all's been to a track, but when I went to Miami Homestead, I went to Daytona, um, some of the Charlotte races, Martinsville, especially in the infield, um, those concession stand lines get to be ridiculous. Um, we're not going to talk about the whole bathroom situation. <laughs> you might as well just throw in a bunch of that portatrons up at these, some of these facilities. Um, and in all seriousness, it, it, it's it's unfortunate. But to start pointing fingers and blaming NASCAR for essentially these tracks getting outdated. I mean, the, the only way that these tracks would have been able to keep up, kept up is these owners early on would have had to sell, sell, sell to NASCAR, these tracks. And, and NASCAR would have had upgraded it when it was at the right time and convenient time. And that's not where what happened to most of these tracks are being shut down. They're owned by SMI or whoever owned Rockingham. And, you know, they, they wanted that money. They, you know, they, they looked at it, they built that track or bought that property uh, at a good price or whatever. And, and then they want to get upset because they, they can't keep up with, you know, it was even like Atlanta. The first time I went to Atlanta in 95, that was, that was something different. Um, now granted, and Atlanta happens to be another one of those tracks at SMI, so I got an opportunity to go there. Um, but they did a great job with that. And, but the attendance and the actual race itself drew enough people to it was worth an upgrade. And they did a phenomenal job versus when I was there in 95 versus when I was there in, I don't know, it was probably 2013, 14, somewhere in that ballpark figure. Extreme difference. Um, but, yeah, um, got an opportunity, though to uh, do a ride-along, and it, it was a really cool thing. Um, the, the girl behind me, she, she was wanting the number 12 car. She did not want anything to do with the number 18 car. And being a, uh, a Kyle Busch fan, I was hoping that, for two reasons, um, that the 18 car would fall into my lap. Uh, one, that, you know, it was the Kyle Busch car. But two, I already heard all the people, all the guys that had rode in their car already that uh, – the old man driving it uh, pushed it to the pushed it to the edge. He, he was definitely the fastest one out there, and kind of kind of let it hang out there. And I was like, you know, I, that's that's the car I want to be in. And I was gonna, if it would have fell out that the twelve would have came first, I I would offer to trade because she just refused to want to be in the twelve car, and I wanted the twelve car or the I'm sorry the eighteen car, but it worked out in my favor. The eighteen car was the first car to come back, and so I got an opportunity to jump in there and uh we got to uh i didn't keep track of the laps uh, we we had a five lap ride along, and all I know is all of a sudden we're going down the service road and we head down the pit road and uh we get to about where the fuel's at or I, I didn't know it was a field. He was heading down pit road, and he's cutting off the car. And I, I assumed he was cutting off the car. He cut off itself. And he's like, oh, you, you got five laps, don't you? And I was like, yeah. He goes, well, we ran out of gas. <laughs> he was like, um, look, we're we're going to get fueled back up, and we'll uh, we'll do a couple more laps. And I was like, cool. You know, so we're sitting there. We're talking. Um, we talk about the fact that my brother got 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 me this package as part of kind of our bachelor thing and, you know, kind of a gift for me. Um, getting married next month and 
got into the whole conversation about marrying my first ever girlfriend and why he asked why I had moved back to Ohio and all this whole conversation. Um, and then one thing led to another, and we started talking about the, the 110 Nation and talked about, you know, doing the podcast and all these different tracks I've gotten to go to and um, the things I, you know, got, kind of got to experience. And, uh, you know, I got to talk to him. You know, he's been doing this for 10 years and, you know, race car driver and everything else. And just got to have a great conversation. And I, I don't know what points made a difference. All I know is when we got back out on track after the guy pushed us up to the fuel point and he filled us on up, I was expecting to do about two more laps and call it uh, call it a day, and um, we got to do another five laps. So I kind of got double the experience there. And uh, he said he was going to tune in. And so if he did remember the 110 Nation, as uh, he kept trying to remember – I know he met uh, probably a good hundred, at least hundred people. I, I know he had, there was probably a good 20 people in front of him before I even got into the car. So I, I can imagine how many people throughout the day that he met and conversations he had and everything else. Um, but uh, thanks for the ride. And uh, I hope you did find us here, the 110 Nation. Um, but uh, had a blast. Um, definitely uh, was an experience I'll never forget. Um, you you kind of have a new, a whole different respect for those that know that drivers are athletes and they, they, they put their body through hell. You got some idiots out there that have no respect for drivers and don't want to include them into the athlete perspective of the world and everything else, which is just about the stupidest thing I've ever heard. But um, even as uh, someone that has a respect for what they do and, and classify them as an athlete, you have a whole new outlook and respect for them, especially when you're standing there, not even in the car, and you stand in your fire suit and you've got sweat just rolling down your back, the back of your legs, you can just feel just, it's, then getting in the car, I understand I'm a pretty big dude, I understand I'm about six feet tall, 275 pounds, but trying to climb in and get in a window, <laughs> Um, the, the, the sliding into the car was, it was something else. I, I was bent in all different angles that, um, I didn't think that I could scrunch down into trying to lean forward and lean in, trying to get in so I can just get into and get to a point where I can move. Um, getting out of the car, um, I, I tried to get out the same way. It wasn't happening. I eventually had to go ahead and just take my helmet off and then work my way out of the car. Um, sitting in the car, you're just, it's crazy how hot it is in that car. And we're only doing three to five laps and then he gets to stop and, and sit there while other people get in the car. It's not like you're, you're running the car wide open and, and having 40 cars on the track. So the, the track has got the heat coming off of it and you, you're not getting an opportunity to get a fresh bottle of water every three to five laps. You're only getting fresh water in, you know, every pit stop that you get to make and everything else. Um, so yeah, yeah, gained a, a whole new, uh, kind of level of respect for those that do this for a living. Um, and you're going to, you can see the extreme difference for those because you had opportunities for those that paid for had an opportunity to drive the cars out there. And it was like night and day. You, you had the guy I was with and 
I, I think we passed probably everybody two or three times in the five five laps when we went versus those that were driving the cars that, you know, and obviously the lack of experience, but also knowing that if I wreck this car, you know, there, there's a whole lot of consequences that come with it. Um, but even standing there, you can watch just one car go by real slow. Then you can see one of those that are part of the race experience go blown by. So, <laughs> um, but I had a blast. Um, glad I had the opportunity. Um, thank my brother for getting me out there and uh, giving me an opportunity. Um, do something I never thought I would have an opportunity to do. So, uh, um, great times. And like I said, if you did find us, glad you found us. Um, Hit us up on Facebook, the 110 Nation Sports. Let me know you did find us. Um, and uh hope to, the rest of your day went good um, out there at the uh, Rusty Wallace Race Experience, the Kentucky Speedway. Uh, we got a couple high-profile athletes that have really kind of taken charge of the uh, the sports world. The, the sporting news world, I guess you could say. That's LeBron James and Aaron Rodgers. And really kind of for two different, well, not kind of, but for two completely different reasons. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll jump into LeBron James first. Uh, this is kind of a complex whole conversation, and I may or may not, because Aaron Rodgers' whole conversation is not as big of a deal at this point still. Um, and something that if I don't get into or don't get into talking about a lot today, that it'll still be a, a conversation come next week or, or the next show I do versus LeBron James not being in the playoffs. Um, it's not so much going to be a topic much more, um, or at least the rest of this year, as we sit here and watch the rest of the playoffs unfold. Um, LeBron James says, uh, according to a study, which I don't think there really had to be a study um, for this to come out, but uh, is the most hated player in the NBA. Um, this comes from the, uh, the Washington Times. And you know, it's it's really a complex whole conversation really because and I'm going to take life experience here with this when you're a Cleveland every fan growing up and you get really that's the first time I really got excited I mean I remember the days of uh, Brad Daughtery and Mark Price and Elo and but I, I was not uh, I wasn't all into the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, I was more pulling for Penny Hardaway and Dennis Scott and Shaquille O'Neal and um, Horace Grant and Scott Skiles and all them. But Orlando at that point in time, I was more interested in, in watching that. I was a, I was a Penny Hardaway fan. Um, but Cleveland basketball was Cleveland basketball. It, it just wasn't a big deal. In, in Ohio, it was more of at that time growing up, the Cleveland Browns, um, as the Browns in the, the mid to late 80s were the team in, in Ohio, um, you know, and, and were 
known more for at that time period for the fumble and the drive and everything else and and the Buckeyes. That was that was kind of what you watched. I mean, it was Cincinnati fans, and it was a little bit later in, I think, what, early 90s that the, the Bengals didn't make it to the Super Bowl and, and lost to the 49ers again in pretty much the same fashion they lost. Um, but more so, fans were wrapped into the Buckeyes and the Browns. Bill Belichick, head coach, Nick Saban on the, the coaching staff. We, we can go on and on of what should have, could have, would have, whatever. LeBron came, comes about, and all of a sudden, everybody in Ohio is a Cleveland Cavalier fan. It doesn't matter if you watch basketball at all at that point in time. I never watched basketball. I never cared about basketball. You even know what basketball was. You, you became you know, the kid from Akron. <laughs> is now a key Cleveland Cavalier, and the Cavaliers are now relevant in basketball. Um, carries a squad of no names to the NBA Finals. Got swept four games and none to San Antonio, um, but you know, nonetheless, he carried a squad of no names to the NBA Finals. Um, instantly took a team that obviously was giving me a number one pick, one of the worst teams in the NBA at that point in time, to – uh, one of the best teams in the East and one of the best teams in the NBA period, one of the most popular teams. Um, so everybody became a LeBron fan. Everybody became a Cavalier fan. I was more so a Cavalier fan. At, at that point in time, you know, I'd already became a Cleveland everything, but I was more of a Cleveland fan. And this is where it's a little bit different for me from the most of the regular Fans, and so this is why it's kind of a complex story, a complex conversation, because once, two things, once LeBron left, he made that decision. All of a sudden, all these people, an entire city, went from loving LeBron to hating LeBron. We have signs, building signs came down, billboards. I, I was listening to uh, Speak for Yourself and Ocho. Once the Cleveland Browns. See, it was the, the season right after LeBron was gone. Had a chance to go down to the queue and everything. And he said there there was not a single picture of LeBron James in the building. And that, that's how quickly <laughs> everybody turned against LeBron. Um. Now you got some of those that are legitimate LeBron fans, and wherever he goes, that's where he's – now they're a Miami Heat fan, or then they became a Cleveland fan again. Now they're a Laker fan. Me, it's – I'm a Cleveland fan. So while you play for my team, I'm going to cheer for you. I'm not necessarily a fan of you per se. Um, like, for instance, now I you know, I love me some Nick Chubb for the Cleveland Browns, but I guarantee if he went and go play for the Baltimore Ravens next year, I would no longer be a Nick Chubb fan. I might still wear my jersey because um, it's a Cleveland Browns jersey, but I no longer be a Nick Chubb fan. I, I'm a Cleveland Browns fan. I do not support any other team. Anybody that's listen, been listening to the show for the last 10 years knows there's one team. There, there, there's Cleveland Browns. I hate 31 teams. There's one team in the NBA, the Cleveland Cavaliers. I hate 29 other teams. Same with uh, Major League Baseball with the, the Cleveland Indians. But, uh, yeah, those that, that still have been a, a fan of LeBron, and, and for most of those are still 
fans with LeBron. Um, and until you get to the political part, and then he did lose a lot of those that had followed him from team to team. Um, but then you had those, like I said, that were Cleveland Cavaliers, and, you know, he didn't handle his decision right. He didn't have to wait until the last season, or I'm sorry, last season, but the last day of free agency to make his quote-unquote decision on national TV, leaving us with nobody to get. Like, you knew you weren't going to play for Cleveland. You should have just went ahead and let everybody know so that Cleveland could have ran around and tried to get some of the free agent players out there so that we didn't go from having LeBron James and a competitive Cavalier team to no LeBron James and didn't add no pieces to help replace. Uh, you know, that that was my issue with how he held it. I don't blame him for what he did because Dan Gilbert didn't add pieces around him. Uh, uh, Jameson, I can't think. It was uh, Antoine Jameson. That was like his fix to, to try helping keep a, a, an old passes prime shack at one point there before he left. Like, he didn't. He didn't go out and get anybody. He, he didn't continue to build his team. He just kind of wanted to pay LeBron James a bunch of nobody, maximize on his profits. And this has been an issue the whole time that Dan Gilbert has owned the, the Cavaliers. He doesn't know how to own a team. He doesn't know how to run a team. As we've seen this, LeBron leaves, Cavaliers are – nobody even knows who the Cavaliers are. I don't even know if they even win double digit, have double digit win seasons when they lose LeBron. He comes back, we we win the finals, we become champions. He leaves, and we're, we're like the worst team in the NBA again. Like that, that shouldn't even be a thing, um, especially with drafting Sexton, still having Kevin Love on the team. Like you had legit players on your team, we had Drummond on the team, um, but you couldn't get all the pieces. Like, but anyway. LeBron James goes to Miami. And see, this is where it gets interesting because that, you, you had all these Cavalier fans that now hate LeBron James. That now he, uh, forget Miami, not one, not two, but three, but four. Like I said, part of it's his doing. Um, but also, and how he held things, how he gloated and everything, he went to Miami. But also understand that Dan Gilbert wasn't doing this thing. Now you got all these people in Cleveland, all these people in Ohio, all these what were Cavalier fans that jumped on being Cavalier fans are no longer Cavalier fans. They act like they don't even know what basketball is anymore. And he's like the most hated man in the state of Ohio, but uh, you got a lot of people that are upset. He goes, does his thing in Miami. Then he writes this heartfelt letter and I'm coming home. I am going to bring a championship back to my home state. The the, the kid from Macron is coming back. We are going to uh, we're going to do this, and we're going to win a championship. All those people <laughs> that had talked all that shit, all that time that he was in Miami, all those buildings that had signs on it, they took him down before the day the sun even went down on the day he had made his decision. All those posters and pictures and everything, LeBron, that was in the queue. 
all that stuff gets put back up like instantly. Like nothing had happened. Stays for a couple years. Brun makes a couple runs to the NBA Finals. Lose, win, lose. Then decides he's gonna go to LA. Now Cavalier fans, state of Ohio, y'all hate him again. I understand. Like I said, I you don't really need to study to know that LeBron James is probably one of the most hated NBA players. All you got to do is be part of any sports group, basketball group, conversation, period. When you throw out the word GOAT or the name Michael Jordan. Because those that hate LeBron James, they come out the woodworks, and it is the most insane, intense, vulgar conversations that I think I have read. I don't get drawn into that. I believe that Michael Jordan was the best of his time. I believe Kobe Bryant was the best of his time. I believe LeBron James was the best of his time. The rules are different. The teams are different. Now you you, you get this Euro step. You can basically walk half the damn court and don't get a traveling call. You you can flop to the ground and you, you get a, a foul call. Three-pointer, you can jump into the defender who tries everything to do to not contact you. And if you didn't jump into him, intentionally, there wouldn't even be any contact, but yet the shooter gets the call. The league's different. The rules are different. So I, I can't get into the whole argument of who's the greatest of all time. I, I think there was a greatest in Jordan's era. I think there was a greatest in Kobe's more towards the beginning because then LeBron stepped into the scene. Then LeBron kind of took that over before Kobe's era was done, and he became the greatest uh, of that time. Now, the whole politics, that that has turned a lot of his, what would be loyal fans that have followed him from team to team, and where those that didn't care either way, have turned to not like him. Um, and, and those that already had a dislike really has turned into a hate. So, you know, you, you can't be disrespectful to the national anthem and the American flag. If nothing else has proved that watching Colin Kaepernick and the players on the sideline doing it should have been your first sign, but you also can't, put a hit out on the police or pick and choose which racial issues or or circumstances that have happened that you're going to support. And you also need to get the whole report before you, you go to flapping your gums or getting your fingers running and on social media because some of these incidences like the Michael Brown thing that the dude resisted arrest, he stole, he was high. Like there was many factors that played into and wouldn't stop and was coming towards the cops. Like there, there's, there's certain, certain ones of these that you got to go into social media and making a stance 
for social injustice that if they would have simply not broke the law or not resisted arrest, they wouldn't have had the outcome it did. That's that's a whole other issue that has caused, uh, I'm sure, a good part of what this study has found. When it comes to LeBron James, I'm going to leave my feelings when it comes to the whole politic out of this part of the segment here. As a player, and long as we leave it as strictly playing the game, I have no dis- dislike, no more dislike than I dislike anybody else that plays for any other team, let's put it that way. Because once again, I am loyal to my team. I am loyal to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I don't care if you ever played with them, played for them, or you're going to play for them until you actually are only when you play for them. Am I going to cheer you on or care of your about your NBA existence? But when it comes to LeBron James, as a player, I I think it's insane that one people hate him. Everybody wants to throw out, oh, he's got to put these super teams together. Do you all not realize this has been going on forever? You do realize they put players around Michael Jordan. It's like this is not – LeBron James didn't just create this whole super team thing or big three thing. Like if you're really going to be upset about it, if that's one of your, your things you're going to hang your hat on to why you hate LeBron or, or feel that his championships don't mean anything – then let's throw out Michael Jordan's championships because the Bulls didn't draft all those players. Now, Michael Jordan didn't win a championship or really irrelevant until they they brought Scottie Pippen in. He needed some help. But I'm not, I'm not going to get into all that part of it, uh, uh, the whole Michael Jordan thing. I'm not getting into the whole comparison here. You know, the reason that he even went to Miami, which was Dwayne Wade's team, who was already there. It wasn't like he said, hey, you and you, let's go to a team, a random team, put a team together. Dwayne Wade was already there. Y'all do know why they put that team together, right? Let me refresh your memory. Kevin Garnett had spent like 10-plus years in Minnesota, wasn't doing anything in Minnesota in a small market. Ray Allen been in the league for 10 plus years wasn't going to win a championship we well, you know they all got got together with paul pierce and decided you know we're going to join paul pierce and and boston and boston became that team in the east and won a championship but y'all forget about that y'all upset about these super teams but Ultimately, what did Golden State do to to defeat LeBron after LeBron beat them? Put a super team together. What do we got going on in Brooklyn right now? Super team. What do we got going on in L.A. with the Clippers right now? Super team. Like, you got all these people upset about this whole big three super team thing, but this is something that pretty much every player now has been part of and was not invented by LeBron James. 
what has happened to pretty much every player that has played with LeBron James? Their value has gone up. Their numbers have gone up. You got players like Matthew Delladova that nobody even heard about. Was like in a league minimum contract until he played with LeBron James and then got offered a multi-million dollar deal, went somewhere else, ended up coming back, but multi-million dollar deal. Not only does LeBron James make a team better, he makes other players better. And so for all these people to to hate LeBron James to the extent that they hate LeBron James, keeping politics out of it, this part, is insane. And because and the reason I say it, because the politic part, one, has only been as of the last few years. And two, that is not such a big crowd that would have the studies finding him to be the most hated. That was kind of you know, an additional group of people. I'm sure it's a nice chunk of people, but not a chunk that would make him the most hated player. It wouldn't say, well, LeBron James was, you know, fifth or, you know, one out of ten, he was about a three, but now because of politics, now he's tenth, the most hated. It's not to that extreme. It's crazy to me because I have witnessed so much fans loving him, then hating him, then loving him, then hating him. Then it makes no sense to me why there is such a hate for someone that if he's on your team, you love him. I had Miami fans that hated him. He joins Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade in Miami, and all of a sudden they are all about some – LeBron James. Then they had the same reaction when he left, decided he was going back to Cleveland, as the Cleveland Cavalier fans had when he left to go to Miami. The only difference is the Cavalier fans had a little more of a reason to be upset. That was the kid from Akron. <laughs> that was homegrown. Um Then I seen those Cavalier fans that were upset and burn everything when he went to Miami. Go back out and buy all new LeBron stuff when he returned. Laker fans, I have no ton of Laker fans. I hate LeBron. Kobe. 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 I never want LeBron on my team. Weren't whistling the same tune last year when LeBron can't help them win a championship. Made the Lakers relevant again. They had been relevant like five, six years at this point. I don't even know the last time they even had a winning season. To include the first year that he was there. I said, I am not surprised to to, to see LeBron in, in this study being the most hated. I just don't understand why. I don't understand what about him has ruined people's days so bad that they won't, they they hate him to that much to the, to to that extreme 
that he is the most hated player in the NBA. Like I said, cause if he's on your team, you, you love him. He does nothing but make players better. He's done nothing but made the league money. He has never been in the news for doing anything wrong. Never did anything outside of his marriage, takes care of his kids, helps build schools, scholarships, all these other things. Even with the politic garbage that he has going on, it's not that I really dislike him more than any other player. I don't hate the man. Like I said, I just dislike 31 teams or 29 other teams NBA. So I just dislike him like I like dislike everybody else. I dislike KD. I dislike Kyrie Irving. He used to be a Cleveland Cavalier. No longer a Cavalier. I dislike you. I only have love for one team. Only like the players on the team I love. Curious to see when it's all said and done. Tweet out today shows us that there's definitely going to be a 19th season. I mean, that's another thing. Like you, you cannot care for the fact that. He's on another team. But how do you hate somebody that physically has done done something that nobody else in the entire history of the sport is able to do? The year seventeen, year eighteen, get ready going to year nineteen. Like that's insane. Man spends like one point five million dollars a year on his body. And all those LeBron haters out there can talk all the smack they wanted to want. If I had the money like that, I can extend my career and not be in pain. Now, I can't even go to the gym at at, at my age at this point and not feel like I was beat with a baseball bat on my elbow. Don't forget, Monday nights, Race Chat Live, right here on the 110 Nation Sports Radio Network. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter, at 110 Nation. Like us on Facebook, the 110 Nation Sports. Make sure you guys check out the site, www.the110nationsports.com, for all the latest. Um, I'm curious, if you're out there listening, I don't care if it's on iHeartRadio, Spreaker, Blog Talk Radio, Google Podcasts, Stitchers, uh, iTunes. Hit us up on uh, Twitter, at 110Nation. Hashtag, this is why I hate LeBron James. Let me know exactly why you hate LeBron James. I'm curious. Like, I I really, I want to know what solidifies and and makes, I mean, I, I already know that, I didn't need a study to – I'm part of these groups. I, I see these comments. I see the hate. Outside of politics, we'll, we'll leave politics out of it. Why Why do you hate LeBron James? What about what he has done in his NBA career, his marriage life, his kid's life, and the community that has upset you so bad that it just – burns this hatred in your heart and ruins your day. 
I really would love to know. Uh, make sure you guys check out the site, www.the110nationsports.com. I am working through my uh, my college football preview, doing the top 25 teams that they uh, as they have them projected to be ranked coming out. Um, right now I'm on the uh, 23rd ranked team, the Louisiana Raging Cajun. The second, back-to-back, but the second uh, Sun Belt team, to be in this uh, top 25. Um, Coastal Carolina was the first. Not expecting really much. I'd really be shocked, especially uh, Louisiana making it out of week one in the top 25 as they kick off. Kick off the season against 20th ranked Texas. I just, in Texas, of course. So I I see them uh, taking a big L, hard L, and falling outside the top 25. Um, Coastal Carolina does not even have a top, I think the highest ranked team they even are playing this year is 95th, 96th ranked. Um, so their strength of schedule have them falling out. Both of these uh, teams will be uh, looking for a crap bowl to be playing in come bowl week, as usual. Um, but uh, doing them, got some press releases, Josh Berry, um, some local drivers information and press releases over there as well. So make sure you guys check that out as well. Um, I think I hit everything. I, next show, if I'm not doing a Thursday, uh, Tuesday, I will be talking about the Aaron Rodgers thing as more things develop. He did not make it to, uh, to the mandatory uh, practices, whether or not this is a big deal or not. To be determined on that. I kind of, I kind of think it's a. I, I'm not gonna say big deal, but I think he needs to be there. I, I, I think that there needs to be leadership. I think it's part of leadership. I don't care if you're coming off the MVP season. I don't care if you're the top three or four team in the total NFL. One, how how are you supposed to build any kind of chemistry with these new players if you're not there? Even if you don't practice because you're coming off an MVP season, I know that's a big argument. We came off of COVID. 19 off-season that did not have practice, did not have preseason. Even if you don't make it mandatory for a veteran of a certain amount of years or a certain statute, partake in the spring activities and the OTAs or even preseason games, I think they should still at least be there. At least build chemistry. At least build some kind of relationship with what's going to be your teammates. Like, I just feel you're just going to have these players feeling that he feels he's better than us, that he don't have to be here, that we're out here busting our ass in this heat why he's chilling right now in Hawaii. At least he's there. He sees what they drafted, what they signed in the offseason, kind of work on and point out things that need to be adjusted, fixed, Everything else, like, I, I just, we'll see how this week plays out. And uh, we'll, we'll get into that as our first topic on the next show. Uh, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Don't forget you guys can find us on Blog Talk Radio, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, um, Cuckoo Podcast, uh, Podcast, uh, Replays, Repeat, something to that nature. <laughs> you really should know, I know. 
Um, iTunes, probably about a good 10, 12 different um, platforms you guys can follow us on. Follow us on and catch a show. So make sure you guys are catching us Monday nights, Race Chat Live, right here on the 110 Nation Sports Radio Network. You guys have a great week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.